today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. And when we receive Jesus Christ, he puts in you and in me righteousness. He puts in you and me Jesus Christ. And therefore, those who are in Christ, God looks at you and God looks at me and says, you're good enough. In fact, you're perfect, just like my son Jesus. He paid the debt that we could not never pay. That is grace. And repentance is acceptance of being found. The truth is we cannot fix ourselves. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young brings his message, Acceptance of Being Found, and shows just how unable we are to fix our mistakes alone. Stay tuned. The Winning Walk starts in just a moment. Here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Wasted and Wanting. When you read the Bible, it's a good idea to know how to read the Bible. You have to read the Bible in its context. What does that mean? That means you have to understand what's going on before and after and during that inspired word from God. If not, you'll have a totally confused understanding of what God is trying to say to you and what he's trying to say to me. So we read it in context. We've been studying one of the greatest chapters of the Bible, Luke chapter 15. It's the great lost and found chapter. Lost, found, lost, found, lost, found. Shepherd lost a sheep, found. Woman lost a coin, found. Father lost a son, found. But to understand this chapter, we have to see what was going on. You read in Luke, Jesus was healing people of every kind of ailment you can imagine. Here and there and over there, blind, Lepers, lame, demonic, healing. And in the context of this, large crowds were coming. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious establishment of the day, they said about Jesus, he associates with sinners. He runs around with sinners. And on top of that, he goes home and eats with them. My, 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 how can he be a prophet? How can he be a teacher? What's his credentials? What's his education? Where has he been? Where is he from? Who's his parents? Because we see he runs around with sinners, sinners, and he sits down and eats with sinners. And their charge against Jesus was absolutely true. Isn't that something? And Jesus then seeks to explain to those supersonic religious people their position 
as far as being lost and found with God is concerned because I am sure they would have said, we're found. <laughs> we're with God. We're moral. We're ethical. We keep the law. And all of these sinners are lost. So Jesus tells three tremendous stories. We're familiar with them, most of us. Shepherd loses a sheep, leaves the 99, goes in the wilderness, finds that one lost sheep, picks him up, puts him on his neck, goes back home to the village, and everybody celebrates. They have a party. Man, he found that lost sheep. What did the sheep do to be found? Pretty good question. The answer is zero. That's right. Not one thing. He just had to accept being found, and Jesus calls that repentance. The word repent means to return. What did the sheep do? Just accept being found. And what about the woman who lost a coin, equivalent of a wedding ring? She searches and searches as the shepherd searches for that lost sheep. She finds the coin. She celebrates. Everybody has a party. And it says there was repentance. Tell me what that coin did to repent. <laughs> An inanimate object. The coin just accepted being found, right? Now we come to the third story, which is the greatest story ever told, the story of the prodigal son. And we ask the question, you know, this is different. Shepherd went looking for the sheep. Woman went looking for the coin. But the father, when the son took off to the far country, he didn't leave home. He didn't go looking for him. Different. And what about the, the prodigal? He came back himself. You know, what's going on here? Did Jesus change the way we're lost and the way we're found? What is operating here? Here we see, ladies and gentlemen, a beautiful understanding of Scripture. We understand what Jesus was teaching and saying to you and to me in the 21st century and what he was saying to those stiff-necked, super-pious, religious Pharisees and scribes. I want you to look at it in Luke chapter number 15. It begins there in the story of the prodigal son. It says a certain man had two sons, and the younger son said, paraphrase, Dad, I wish you'd die. That's what he said. He said, give me the inheritance I will get when you die. Isn't that something? Now, most fathers in the Middle East and actually all around the world, but particularly the Middle Eastern fathers, if a young whippersnapper had come up and said, I want the share of my inheritance I'm going to get when you die, that medieval father would slap that younger son and say, get out of my sight, right? That's what they would do in the Middle East. But what did this father do? An unbelievable thing. 
a remarkable thing. He said, okay. Okay, and he went out and started to sell enough goods so he could give that young son his share of what he would get when he would die. Now, this is that little phrase in there. It says, not many days after, you know, the son, uh, not many days after. He didn't leave immediately when the father said he'd give him the inheritance because the father had to sell some property. He had to sell some sheep and some goats. He had to sell some of his crops in order to get enough money for that kid to go off and take everything that he get. This was a wealthy landowner, a wealthy, wealthy man. And when he sold all of this, it affected his family. It affected his other son who stayed at home. It affected the whole community because they all worked together. And so I'm sure they were saying, what got into him? What's going on? What led him to embarrass his father, to steal from his father, to wish that his father was dead, to hurt the economy in our community? So he got out of Dodge. Now that young man knew there was no way he could ever go back home to the father and he could never go back to the community because the community had something called kazaza. It was a ceremony in which they would take burned nuts and they would take burned corn and put it in an earthen vessel. And if a Jewish man or boy went off and lost all their money to Gentiles, who were the Gentiles? Anybody wasn't a Jew. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. And if a Jew went off and lost all the money to Gentiles, they could never come back to the community. In fact, if they came back, they would take and shame them and they would take that earthen vessel and they would break it and they would call their name and say, you have been cut off, zip, never to return. So that young guy knew all of this. He'd been brought up in this culture. And so he got all the loot together and he took off and he went to the far country. And the Bible tells us he lived extravagantly. In other words, he was some kind of cool cat there among the Gentiles. You can be sure that a lot of the mothers said, you know, this young man who's come to town, he's got it all. He's handsome. He's got funds. He's an operator. Wouldn't it be nice if one of my daughters would date him and maybe marry him? Man, that would be great. We'd go way up in society. I'm sure he made some deals. I'm sure he dated a lot of women. His older brother said later on he ran around with prostitutes. But you can't live that kind of let the good times roll very long. I don't care how much loot you've gotten from your dad. And before long, he ran out of money. He ran out of friends. Said no one gave him anything, a little scripture there. He ran out of everything, and a famine came in the land. He couldn't get a job. He tried there in the far country, and then finally, a pig farmer hired him to herd and feed the pigs. He became a pig herder. And then you have one little verse of Scripture that explains what's going on as to why he even thought about going back. Look at verse 17. It says, I 
perish with hunger. That's it. Prior to that, you have verse 17. The first part said, he came to himself. Was that a turning point in his life? He came to himself. A long time I have preached that and taught that. I was wrong. When he came to himself, it merely means that he began to think about himself and who he was and think about a way that somehow because he was so hungry and he had bottomed out and a Jew feeding pigs and living with pigs, you can get no lower than that. He came to himself. He saw who he was. Did you hear about the rabbit who came face to face with the rattlesnake? The rattlesnake looked at the rabbit and said, I know who you are. I recognize those ears, twitching nose, that little bushy tail, all that fur. You're a rabbit. The rabbit said to the rattlesnake, you're right. And he says, I know who you are. You got a big mouth and you're smooth and you have all those diamonds on your back. You're a television evangelist. So the prodigal came to his senses. He said, he came to himself. He didn't come with the idea, I've got to get back to the relationship with my father. He didn't come with the idea, boy, I've done wrong, taking all that money from my dad. No, he came to himself, and then he made a little speech. He said, you know, my father, his hired servants, they eat better than this, they live better than this, and he made up a little speech. And some of people think when he came to himself, he began to repent. No, there's no repentance there. It's all selfish, all his idea. Some people have the idea when they get in trouble in life, they get hungry and things go bad. They say, I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to a psychologist and get some counseling. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to leave my wife, my husband. That's my problem. I'm going to fix myself. It's the job that I have. It's where I live. I'm going to fix myself. And a lot of us, just like the prodigal, he said, he came to himself, I'm going to fix myself. And he made up this little speech. This is a speech. He said, I'll give to my father. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as a hired servant. Well, you say that was repentance. No, it wasn't. Because remember his audience? Who's he talking to primarily? The scribes and the Pharisees. One thing about the scribes and Pharisees, they knew the Bible. And when the prodigal started saying, I've sinned against heaven and before you, they recognized that as almost the same words Pharaoh spoke to Moses after the ninth plague when Pharaoh, trying to manipulate Moses, said, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned before the Lord, and I've sinned before you. Was Pharaoh repenting? No. He was trying to deal with Moses, saying, shut down these plagues. And that was following the plague of the locusts in which everything green in Egypt had been eaten up by the locusts. And Pharaoh makes the same speech that the prodigal is making, and you could be sure 
those pious Jews said, we've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, that's not sincere. That's not repentance. He tried to manipulate Moses. And what is the prodigal doing? He's got a speech. He thinks he can manipulate the father. And remember, the father in this story is a symbol of God himself. So the prodigal gets up. And I've said a long time, he was repenting. No, he wasn't. He was hungry. He was going home to manipulate his dad. And so he retraces his steps. And then an amazing thing happens. His father, knowing that he would not make it, looked out and was watching that road day after day, hoping, praying, anticipating his son would come back home. Now, let me tell you how that whole community would have been structured. There would be a village in which in the middle of the village would be the wealthy landowners, the prosperous people would have bigger houses and all the other houses would surround them. It's not like there was a house here and there's all the land and the cattle, oh no. They would all have lived together and the streets would be probably no more than 12 feet wide through the village, enough for a loaded camel to pass. And the second story would lean together, be about six feet apart. And so that father in the middle of the village was looking out for that son because he knew, listen carefully, if he ever decided to come back and the community would see him, they would never let him get to the father. They would have began the ceremony of being cut off Kazaza, and he would be excluded and cut off and never allowed to go home. So the father knew that. And he watched and he watched when he saw him a great way off. The father did a remarkable thing, just unheard of anywhere, anytime in culture, in the Bible. The father picked up his long robe and he climbed down and he ran to meet that son. A Jewish patriarch would never, never do that. It was against the law. The Mishnah, you know, was an interpretation of the Talmud and the Torah. And it said if a bird would fly under a man's robe, he couldn't get that bird out in public it would be embarrassing and disgraceful to show his ankles. Listen, that's how pious they were by the law. But this father, he didn't care. He tied up his robe. He ran to meet that son. Why? Oh, he's glad to see him come back home. No, he knew if he did not meet him outside that village, and the villager would see him first, knowing that this young man, this pig herder coming home had disgraced the father and disgraced the village. They would have cut him off and shamed him and never allowed him to come home. So the father had to run out. Now notice this. The boy began to make his little speech. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. About this time, the father got there and he embraced him and he kissed him and covered him, I'm sure, by his robe. And the son never got to say, make me as a hired servant. 
Now watch this. The son thought he could go back and bring something into the grace and in the forgiveness that he hoped to receive his father. Father, make me as a hired servant and I will work long enough and hard enough to repay you for all the inheritance I have thrown away and exploited with sensual living. But the son never finished that speech. Why? Because repentance for him was exactly what repentance was for the sheep and the coin. It was the acceptance of being found. Ladies and gentlemen, that's grace. The boy thought, I'm going to go. I'm going to earn my way back. No, it never works like that. It's all by the love and the grace of God. The boy thought the problem was he'd thrown away all the money. Though the problem was that he had broken a relationship with his father. And that relationship was reestablished with his father. And therefore, the village would never have that ceremony of cutting him off because the father had embraced him. And more than that, the father had said, look, bring the best robe and put it on him. That was the sign of a family robe, a uniform, if you would. And then put a ring on his hand. That would be a signet ring. He has all the authority of the family that he ever had. And he's barefooted. <laughs> he's not a slave. He put shoes on his feet. Man, he's totally rehabilitated. He's totally forgiven. He's back in the family with no merit of his own. The repentance of the prodigal was, he didn't say, make me as a hired servant. <laughs> no, it was this acceptance of the grace, the love, the forgiveness of being found. Here's the question. How do you and I, we're lost, how do we get found? Is it your initiative and my initiative as we go to God, or is it God's initiative as he comes to us? Can I go to God anytime I want to, or can I go to God only when he is leading and he is calling me to come to him? I won't spend a lot of time with the Arminians and the Calvinists if you're a theologian, but here we see the situation. How do we get right? How do we get safe? How do we know we are salvaged? How do you know we're in God's family? How do you know and I know that we're going to heaven? Most of us have the idea, the world does at least, that God grades on some kind of cosmic curve. You know, uh, you, you've had classes in which the teacher would grade on the curve. And they'd take the highest grade in the class, say the highest grade was 75, and perfection was 100, but 75 would be the highest grade, and they would take all the other grades and marshal them on down. So if you and I made a 40, the highest grade was 75, and the professor grade on the curve, that 40 might be a C and not an F. And so a lot of people think that God grades on the curve. That God is such a God of love that universalism, that everybody's going to be saved. Johns Hopkins University, I think this last semester, if I read it correctly, they had a professor there that said he always graded on the curve. And so they went in for a final exam, and the class decided, well, he's going to grade on the curve. The highest grade will get an A. What if all of us do not take the final, the only grade for the whole semester, and we all made a zero, and he would grade on the curve, huh? 
we'd all make an A. And believe it or not, that's what they did. And believe it or not, he graded on the curve, and all of them made a zero, but it was the highest grade in the room, so all of them made an A. That's universalism if we think we get right with God by doing good. I got news for you. God does not grade on a curve. Sorry, he doesn't do it. God grades on the basis of you're either saved, you're lost. You're either found or you're lost. To say it in this way, you pass or fail. In God's course, everybody here passes or fails. Good, better, best has nothing to do with it. Whoa. How does that work? You pass or you fail? What about all those good people? A lot of people say, well, how can God send anybody to hell? Ladies and gentlemen, God never sends a person to hell. We're free moral agents. We make our own choice about this thing. You say, hell is there. Why? Why does God even have to have a hell? Hell is there because we live in a moral universe. Without hell, there's no morality. There's no right and there's no wrong. There's no punishment for wrong and there's no reward for being right. In other words, if there's no hell, what are you going to do with the pedophiles? What are you going to do with Adolf Hitler? What are you going to do with all of those in our city right here where we live who are selling thousands of children every day in sex trafficking? What are you going to do with those folks? I thank God there's a hell. And it is a moral choice that everybody makes. If you're in a little boat and it goes down at sea and they send a boat to rescue you, and you say, no, I don't want to be rescued. I'm going to take care of myself. Did that boat cause you to drown in sea? No, you drowned at sea because the choice you made not to get on that boat. God grades on the basis of pass or fail. You say, well, goodness, what do I have to do to pass? How good do you have to be? How good do I have to be? Now, this will blow your mind, but what the Bible did, you know how good we have to be to be safe, to be salvaged? We have to be as good as God. Boy, <laughs> I'm disqualified. You're all disqualified. On a pass or fail basis, you're not as good as God. I'm not as good as God. I guess we're all permanently lost. No, this is where grace comes in. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was perfection, and he took all the trash hypocrisy in your life and the life of every prodigal son or daughter upon himself and was nailed to the cross and died and paid the debt to God that you and I could not pay anymore. The prodigal could pay the debt to his father, and he paid that debt. And when we received Jesus Christ, he puts in you and in me righteousness. He puts in you and me Jesus Christ. And therefore, those who are in Christ, God looks at you and God looks at me and says, you're good enough. In fact, you're perfect, just like my son Jesus. He paid the debt. 
that we could not never pay. That is grace. And repentance is acceptance of being found. Now the prodigal, <laughs> now the prodigal, he put on the robe right there when he came back home. He put the ring back on. He left with a robe, lost it. He left with a ring, sold it. He left with shoes, he came home barefooted. But now when he put the robe and the ring and the shoes back on, he knew he couldn't earn his way back into the household of the Father. He walked with new humility in his life because he knew that everything he was, everything he had, all the joy in his life was a gift from the Father. That's why. That's why we call acceptance of being found, acceptance of being saved, acceptance of receiving that grace. That's why we call it, guess what? Amazing. Amazing. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.